Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by playwright Felix Abador. Hi. I got a cat on my lap. <laughs> so I got to get right into what I what I think we should call the Felix curse and pass on like towards the end of the episode, which is probably 60 episodes ago, we mentioned you. And I was like, and I was like, oh, that's because we just met. Like, I think we met at, I think we went to the Full Moon Jam or something like that. No, he came. Uh, we met you at um, Homeset. Yeah. Oh, you, you clowned. Right. You clowned in our apartment. You I, made a splash. That's why, because it, it was <laughs> the Homeset where you clowned, and then literally, I'm not like you know making a joke or something mm-hmm. like that. And then the. And you also had just started writing for us. Yeah. So it was, was one like, of those. Hi, nice to meet you. Welcome to our apartment. I'm your boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we were like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And then I don't even remember how you came up with a conversation, but um, but you did. And then I was like, oh, it's so fun. I, I must have either texted you or mentioned it to you at some point or commented on something being like, oh, that's so funny. We just mentioned you on the show and didn't really think about it past that. But then, I, like, a few days later, I realized, like, I think after you said, like, oh, I listened to it, I thought about it more, and I was like, oh, I don't think we mentioned him until, like, 45 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> Wait, no, you literally said to me, because I was going on, like, a six-hour road trip, you said, oh, listen yeah. to Sounding Board, we talk about you on there. Oh! Cool. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my name's on the radio, great. Yeah. Oh but God. I always imagine it's that thing of... Because I've had this where I was like... Was it like the last thing that we mentioned before we were like, and that's all, folks? And it was like the second to last, and the extent of the mention was, ah, oh, and Felix. Huh, that guy's fun. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Good. I was still thrilled We're to be monsters. Sure. <laughs> I mean, because it's definitely one of those things, like, I've written in a podcast before, and then the whole time you're just kind of like, my name? Is my name going to happen? My name? That happened with with us and um, an episode of What About Chicago. Um, do you know that podcast? Raheem yeah. Salons, yeah. yeah. And he, they mentioned, um, we have this offshoot of, of Scappy called Hearing in Color, where we do concerts that highlight um, composers and performers of color. Mm-hmm. And... Um, what about Chicago just like randomly found out about it like we hadn't met them yet and they plugged it and I saw that they plugged it and then I was like oh my god I have to listen to this episode we were literally the last people and I was like ah! <laughs> I mean like obviously I enjoyed it immensely because it's such an like that is such a good podcast but like I was just like on like on pins and needles the whole time like all right and we're back and now we're gonna mention take that walk to not your thing maureen (laughs) (laughs) yeah we uh so what i think we should do is and i'm gonna think on this too is it towards the end just like name drop like very specific people i feel like that'd be really fun and then be like you're mentioned on this podcast and then they have to listen to the whole thing but then they hear it right now and they're like oh i see what's happening and then well, they're no, gonna skip right to the end then maybe it'll be at like 30 minutes or something uh, like that or you don't know uh, at some point person x you're mentioned uh-huh maybe we could mention other people throughout the podcast and like, sure so you don't know if you're gonna come at like five minutes in right or like six and a half hour. this is right. a six and a half hour long podcast right mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. exactly yeah. well let's so start off <laughs> danielle levski forever and ever danielle levski until the day i die danielle levski until the universe turns to heat death yes yeah. yes okay so let's get into this um so you have a show that you've written coming out in rhino fest i do yeah um and we're so excited to talk to you about it. Is this, you were saying this is your first performed piece? Well, the first performed piece that I've like solo written. Yeah. yeah. And I guess I really haven't solo written this either. But yeah, yeah. So well, tell us, about, <laughs> tell us a bit about, tell us a bit about the work. <laughs> um, the work is called Infinity Burns. It's about um, this real figure from the, the, the 16th century, Giordano Bruno. Um, he's sort of like this forgotten figure in the um, like expansion of science. Mm-hmm. You know, you have like Copernicus, who like believes that the universe, uh, the, the Earth revolves around the sun, and he kind of hides it until the day he dies. 
And so he's like dying and then he's like, oh, by the way, the Catholic Church is wrong and then dies. And so they can't really say much about it because he's dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Giordano Bruno comes along a couple of years later, roughly the same time. And he's saying the same things, but he's still alive. And so the Catholic Church is sort of chasing him all around Europe. Um, and he gets thrown out. He, he runs away from Italy. He gets thrown out of Switzerland because he called a professor an asshole. And then he gets thrown out of France and then chased out of England by an angry mob. Tries to go to Germany and fails and then goes back to Italy, captured by the Catholic Church and then held for eight years and, you know, executed. Um, so the play sort of deals with those final few days of his life where the Catholic Church is kind of terrified of him. Mm-hmm. Um, for reasons that, like, I really was really interested in exploring is why is this tiny little monk man so scary to the way things are? Um, and so the, the play itself is a question as to why we're so afraid of people who are different. Mm-hmm. And what are the forces that keep them in line? And what are the forces that can really push somebody out and cause them to be different? And cause him to maintain that. Well, so why is the Catholic Church so afraid of him? Because, I mean, I, I imagine that there are, you know, enough people during that time who are saying subversive shit. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, specifically what made his theory so scary? What made his theory so scary? It's, it's in a large sense, part of the context of the time period. This is the time of, like, the Protestant Reformation. You have the um, Anglicans in England. You have the Anabaptists. And you also have the Scientific Reformation. And I think in the Catholic Church, what you have is a group of people who have been in power for... Ever. Yeah, like 1,300 years. Forever, basically. And, you know, if you consider the Catholic Church just an offshoot of, like, the Roman ruling body. I mean, they've been in power since, like, like 1,000 B.C., something like Mm -hmm. that. Not exactly that. Um, And I think at this moment... Some Roman historian right now is like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Do not see this show. (laughs) His years, his estimation of years is is way off. Way off. God. But yeah, I think that in this moment, they're they're seeing all these like challenges to their status quo. And I think that there is a genuine fear that they're going to become irrelevant. Mm. And what's a worse thing than to just be completely irrelevant when for so long you have been the most relevant thing? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to um, pull back the veil of before the podcast. I like had another case of Daniel is masquerading as a person who knows things and <laughs> didn't realize that there was because I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like a parallel story to like what happened to those guys that were like, yeah, the earth isn't flat. And you were like, yeah, this is the third guy. He was in between <laughs> Copernicus and Galileo. And so I think that's, that is really fascinating, that kind of piece of the fact that Bruno is so overlooked. Is that part of the reason what of what draw you to telling the story? Oh, absolutely. Um, I like the fact that Bruno's overlooked because it's a story that hasn't been told yet. But more than that, I like the way that, the you know, Bruno being overlooked is just one big difference. The other big difference is that... Um, Galileo, Comper- Galileo and Copernicus were basing what they were talking about based on what they saw. You know, Galileo saw the moons orbiting around Jupiter, and he sort of reached this conclusion, the sunspots, etc. Um, Copernicus, I don't really know how he came to the conclusions that he came to, but I know that Bruno, he was a monk. He wasn't a scientist. And um, the way he came to the conclusions that he came to is just that he had a really active imagination. And he just thought about stuff for a little while. And he visualized stuff, and he came to the conclusion that the universe was infinite he came to that belief and he felt it inside of him and for him that was enough mm-hmm. i think it's a beautiful act of faith yeah well and it it calls into question like i i had a conversation with a friend of mine recently where we were um or not recently just i had this i a friend of mine in high school so not recently at all mm-hmm. was um uh, is and continues to be very devotely catholic sure. she had actually just converted she was raised evangelical christian and Mm -hmm. then her senior year of high school converted to catholicism weird okay she's a very interesting person and like whip smart and really very interesting Mm -hmm. um but she and i would have conversations and she was really the only person of faith when i was in high school that i really felt comfortable talking about doubts i had with Mm. and so we were talking about it and we we came up with the analogy of like there's only you know of trekking up a mountain Mm. 
in terms and you know the peak of the mountain being like enlightenment or heaven or whatever whatever and i i remember talking to her and being like well you know i realize that you know a lot of people believe that there's a straight path to the mm. top of the mountain but why do you have to adhere to that path you know why do you you know what if you veer off the path and you learn something amazing and then you go on back back onto the path and then you go and veer to the other side and you learn something else and she was like well but if there's a path like why wouldn't you just adhere to that and Mm. so it's really it's really interesting to me the idea of like such a strong institution where like you know him being a monk he was part of that institution and if there's something that he believes so deeply and there's faith there Mm -hmm. it's i guess frustrating to me that that institution wouldn't like laud someone who had such strong faith because there's not he wasn't he wasn't flashing science around he was flashing faith sure so i i don't know i guess like what are what are your thoughts on that i or on i don't know there's no question there it's just it's just like a source of frustration for me and when it comes to like dogma Mm. i don't know what are your thoughts on dogma dogma the movie (laughs) (laughs) kevin smith's greatest creation yeah yeah you know i think the difference between faith and dogma is that faith I, I think that oh, oh my god Ooh. that was dramatic so uh, for people listening uh, Felix's microphone just fell so we're gonna take a minute an act of God all right we're back okay. I know that Felix had th- thoughts on this question so. I have so many thoughts on this question yeah. um, it's the difference between dogma and faith right? yeah um, I feel like both of those things are fundamentally dealing with how big things are how vast the universe is how small we are and how like how many infinite possibilities there are in any given moment. You could walk out of this room and you can get hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, s- physicists say there's conceivably no reason to conclude that the sun should continue shining necessarily. Like, at any given moment, it could just turn off. Because things that have happened in the past don't necessarily things that'll ha- determine things that'll happen in the future. It's all just trends, right? Mm-hmm. That's all faith. Uh, that's all vastness. And I feel like dogma's response to vastness is to package it and put it into something that we understand is to say the sun has always shined the sun will always continue to shine you know it's hard to say what will happen to us after that we die we know exactly what will happen to us after we die we will go to heaven or hell or that weird place in the middle yeah and that's the stuff that we have no proof for exactly not to say that and i think so this is the thing one of the things that i actually really always appreciate whenever i talk to people from the jewish faith mm-hmm. and also what i really appreciate about you know one of the things that maybe people know this or not maureen and i sing in a church uh very frequently um we sing in the choir and we've had a lot of experiences with many different churches at this point for that because we've been doing it for years as opera singers and everything but now we're at a lutheran church and so it's really fascinating to like ride that like you know, because we we met at a very conservative Catholic church where we were paid well <laughs> and left it because it was terrible. And now we're at a place we really love. And so it's um it's an interesting space though, because the the mindset of like approaching the these things in a way where there's kind of a kind of room for we don't have everything figured out. Like I always really appreciated whenever I talk, whenever people talk about this that are that are Jewish, that that space of like, oh, it's really it's really safe to ask questions and to kind of like figure that out. And I think to me, mm-hmm. that to me makes the most sense of the of the faith versus dogma thing because I think dogma, like, very much wants to be have an answer for things that that we don't have an answer for. And I think that that faith is like, sorry, see, that was gross. <laughs> is moving forward like without an answer yeah and celebrating the fact that we don't have an answer sure so, right like, look at this vast creation like the unit i mean like you could go vast outwardly you can go vastness into like the depths of space or you can go vastness into the depths of a single person mm-hmm. to be like holy crap there's so much here we don't understand what an amazing thing this is and i feel like people of that kind of faith exist everywhere they exist in the atheist community 
they exist in the Catholic community. You know, think about like in Islam, like the Sufis Mm -hmm. or in Judaism, the Kabbalists or the Gnostics in Christianity. Um, I I feel like there are there are places in every faith or I guess you could say faithlessness to celebrate that vast creation. But there are also people who clamp down and who try and hold things. And I guess to answer your question about why they hated Bruno so much is I think a lot of that clamping was necessary for the way the world was at the time and maybe the way the world continues to be. I mean, this is the time of like, this is 1580. This is uh, the conquest of the Americas is in full swing. You know, mm-hmm. you still have rampant slavery. Anti-Semitism is all over the place. Mm-hmm. And um, the interesting result of believing in an infinite universe and believing in an infinite God that goes with it is that there's absolutely no space for that. Because what's the point? Mm-hmm. So Bruno, it's, it's amazing to read his writings. I mean, his he would have been a progressive thinker until like 20 years ago. Oh, wow. He was like anti-imperialist, anti-racist in a time of like virulent anti-Semitism. He was like, Jews, eh, not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, and I find, so here's a thing I, I kind of want to tangent off into and we can come back to. But I want to mm-hmm. touch on kind of you as an artist. Because I think it's really fascinating that... Um, you know, because we mentioned this already, how we were introduced to your artistry was through your clown work. Yes. And so I think that the fact that you have, and I'm sure Which, that by the way, is hysterical. Yeah. You're the funniest goddamn clown. Oh, is so you. good. Clown yeah. is so hard. Oh my God. <laughs> and it, well, it's really interesting to me that you have this kind of, I wouldn't say duality because I don't think anybody is just two things, but like that, this is very like heady, heavy stuff. And th- but then you also kind of have an appreciation for lighter, like you know, clown work basically. Mm-hmm. But um, not you get what I'm saying. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. the but my so my question is like kind of as you you know are worth we're thinking about sitting down and writing this and working on this like what how as an artist like did that like how does this kind of uh, what what space does this kind of take up in how you view yourself as an artist? Oh, sure. Um, I kind of thread the middle ground a lot of the time. You know, I swing back and forth. I mean, I, I studied history in college and, you know, wrote a lot, a lot, a lot of papers. And I did very well. It was really heady work. And then after college, two years later, I went to um, physical theater school in the far north hippie coast of California mm-hmm. where I studied, you know, physical theater, embodying nature and being a clown. And I don't feel like either of those two extremes totally suit me. Um, what I really like to think about, you know, this this project in particular came about with this question of like, uh, what happens when people who experience things differently, um, what, what, uh, how do they relate to the society around them? And I think it's it's a big question that continues to this day. I think it's going to continue to be important. Mm-hmm. But what I, as an artist, really like to do is to take those heady ideas. Things that like we only think of intellectually, like infinity, the universe, God most of the time is just like, oh, that guy over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to take those things that are a little bit more abstract and alien to us and make them real and immediate, mm-hmm. which I think, oh, no, stay. <laughs> She's just looking at her like, okay. We mentioned this in the break, but... Um, Felix has a serious run at the elite lap society. The well, he's already in Moody's lap society. Anyone that has Moody in lap, but like the but like the winners circle, right? <laughs> I think we've mentioned this on the show. There's only like four or five people that have done it, and and we got to add too that Felix has a significant handicap and that you are allergic to cats, but you've like. <laughs> <laughs> apparently very much bonded with our cat specifically which is both an honor and a treasure and also like and also a little harrowing yeah i really want to win um <laughs> yeah i think i think you have to then be president of moody's lap society if this happens <laughs> the intensity with which he said that was everything i really want to win <laughs> Anyway, I'm so oh, sorry for God. cutting you No, no, that, no, I cut myself off because I was distracted. I'm cutting a fine line with this Moody. She's sitting up on my lap right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of these ideas are ideas that we keep intellectual or we keep separate from us, and I think we're, we're much the worse for it. I um, think that taking heady ideas and putting it into a, um, a medium as physical and as tangible, I guess, as theater mm-hmm. is really interesting to me. There's... I, I keep like hearkening back to like things I learned when I was younger and actually 
read books, um, <laughs> was um, I took this class in, in college where we were talking about, um, it was a film class, mm-hmm. and uh, we talked a lot about the ideas of the beautiful and the sublime, mm. and how beauty is very well suited to visual um, mediums. Like, you know, you can describe something as beautiful and you can portray that Mm -hmm. because it's tangible. You can touch something that's beautiful. You can touch a flower. You can, you know, touch whatever. Um, But when it comes to the sublime, it's it's best left unshown. And that that is like best exemplified in how awesome the novel Frankenstein is mm. versus how shitty all of the movies are. Or Bird Box, right? Yeah. Um, where, like... <laughs> exact. Well, no, it's true. Because mm-hmm. there was an article written about how in the movie Bird Box, um, Which they the, wanted to... Yeah. They wanted to... They, like, had a costume ready for the monster. Gesundheit. There we go. Um, yeah. They had a monster ready for the, or they had a costume ready for the monster, but then they ultimately decided to leave it unshown because that was Gesundheit. Thank you. Uh, they ultimately decided to leave it unshown because that was scarier. Oh, yeah. And that's what the sublime is all about, is that it's best left unshown. Oh. Because, like, the reason that Frankenstein movies never land is because you have to see Frankenstein. And nothing is ever going to be as scary as the way it's described in the book because because then you can put your <laughs> oh, own no. Oh no, is this because spheres. of Moody? I think it might be because of Moody. But oh. sneezing is really fun, so it's not like that big of a thing. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. So let's let's see how it shakes out. But mm-hmm. I the the idea of taking something as heady as a man's version of infinity mm-hmm. and putting it on stage i'm wondering how i'm wondering how you tackle cuz that's a significant obstacle is putting the discussion of infinity on stage is hard yeah so like how how did that go for you i guess is my question uh i mean that was like a uh, i didn't write that um, okay. I intentionally didn't. I didn't think it was appropriate. I left it to the cast, and they've done an amazing job. I mean, we have like Face Denim, Kevin Duvall, Taylor Brutz, and our director, Jonathan Goldthwaite. Um, and, you know, they, we've all sort of been just fighting about this idea for the last, you know, four weeks, four or five weeks now. And it's hard because um, it's weird and strange, and you do have to put a box on it to a certain extent. Right. Um, and, um, you know, I really wanted to be the one who's like who wants to show it um and everybody else and i I feel like their instincts were right we're like no like the less that we see of this the better because anytime you try and like package something and put it into the prop theater's front stage yeah it's just it's gonna lose something absolutely um and so yeah i was like gung-ho about like how can we do this how can we put this on stage and i think better minds eventually prevailed that we're like no actually the less we show of this Mm -hmm. the better that's so interesting to me and it's something that i think i think that um more mainstream mediums that's Mm. that is a concept that has been chosen that people have chosen to ignore Mm -hmm. time and time again the idea of whatever is in your imagination is going to be more impactful than whatever we can put on stage for whatever the budget is yes and I don't know. I'm like, I'm glad you were talked out of it. Is my point? <laughs> not, com- not completely. There are still some attempts. Good. You'll see. It's it because like half of the play takes place in the Inquisition chambers. You know, jail. Yeah. Um, and half of it takes place inside of Bruno's own mind. And um, I think that oh, there's wow. there's something to play with. Not half, but parts of it. That's um, cool. The best parts, I think, because um, I didn't write them. Um, there's this play of like. Um, <laughs> expansiveness and contractedness you know the space that we exist in versus the space inside of us and uh, yeah that's something i was excited about so is Mm -hmm. part of this piece devised oh absolutely oh cool um it's devised and because it was a new script anyway and because my actors and director were so 
such good dramatists anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a significant cast input to every single part of the script. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's I, I feel uncomfortable most of the time saying I wrote this play because the best parts of it I had almost nothing to do with. Yeah. I think it's so... the 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 devised theater scene in Chicago is so strong and some of like the coolest theater I've seen in the city. Well, it's really, mm-hmm. I, I, I always wonder, and maybe like, I don't know if you have thoughts on this, like I'm just kind of dropping this on you, but I know that very much one of the things that has made Chicago a unique theater scene in the last few decades is mm-hmm. like how much the mammoth ideology of like, it needs to be real has really influenced mm-hmm. like, like everything has to be gritty and real and feel like it's actually happening. And, um, it's an interesting kind of thing to think about that and how much Chicago theater, because I don't, it doesn't seem, and you know, I'm not in New York, I'm not in LA, I'm not in other theater cities, so I don't, I don't know, and mm-hmm. and I'm not also, I'm not a theater specialist either, so I'm just kind of like shooting the shit right now. But like, I, I think it's really fascinating that so much of Chicago theater is now latching on to devised work, sure. where it's almost like. I don't know. I mean, is, are those two things like unrelated? Like the whole realist, what, what, like brutalist approach of like, it needs to be real with the like, let me. I want to pull from my actors' lived experiences and and see if we can create something from that. Like, do you think that, hmm. or do you think they're unrelated? I would say they're neither totally related nor unrelated because they're slightly different. I, I okay. I think that within the devised movement, there's this tendency towards the devised style. Mm. Um, a lot of my actors talk about this, and, yeah. and you can almost like imagine it while you're while you hear it. It's like people in black turtlenecks doing like mm-hmm. really flowing motions while making like I guess I can't show the face, but um, it's it's the, it's like they're making this sound the whole time. Oh, yeah, devised. <laughs> Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like that because like you said, like devise just means that it's coming from the actors right. and it's collapsing that playwright, director, actor construction into one mm-hmm. where the actors are the ones writing as they go sometimes and sometimes directing. So I could see a world in which devised work could also be, could also have elements of that realism. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's other movements within the Chicago community, um, like a movement towards physical theater, especially that's only like maybe 15 years old, you know, generally right. starting around like the 500 clown era in the early 2000s, late 90s. You know, this movement towards um, maybe the text isn't the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we don't need a play from David Mamet. Right. Or. Um, yeah. And no know. way am I trying to like put Mamet up on a pedestal of deserved this. I'm just it's an interesting thought because. That, that piece of what I think makes Chicago also really unique is how willing we are to he- how much people of Chicago want to hear from different perspectives because those different perspectives are so immediate in this city like in so many ways like oh, the yeah. different neighborhoods like it's so like you can so quickly uh, experience another perspective that it, it makes a lot of sense of that also because that's what I, I feel like whenever like I feel like devised has the possibility to really do that because whenever like we talked the couple times not a lot that we've talked to people that do devised work that is a thing that especially in this era of inclusivity and diversity like that is what something that devised can really bring to the table is is um because everybody in every sense like from no matter what has a different experience and yeah. so like fle- that's the like it's a way in which to flesh out these things i think that's super fascinating yeah i think it's a beautiful element of chicago that chicago uniquely could probably bring to the devising scene well and this actually so let's let's um Mm -hmm. this is a question we ask a ton but i'm i'm gonna uh bring it to you which is what do you think the city of chicago specifically has done for this work like how do you think because also you're you're kind of new to chicago yeah, ten, uh, 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, wild. A baby and a month in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like <laughs> not that, but anyway. That yeah, reminds so. me, uh, I, again, pulling from my past, when I was in middle school, a friend of mine um, broke up with her boyfriend and was devastated, and they'd been together for nine months, and oh. I remember coming back from recess, and she was very upset. 
She was very upset. Recess? Yeah. And she was like, we were together for nine months. (laughs) Can you imagine what I could have done in nine months? (laughs) And in my in my head, the first thing that came to mind, I was like, well, you could have had a baby. <laughs> nine months. Can you imagine? What can you imagine at the age of 12 what I could have done at nine? <laughs> nothing. Could have done nothing. Could have learned cursive. I could have planted some carrots and they would have been ready for harvest right now. <laughs> so dramatic. Anyway, I'm so sorry. I cut someone off. So, <laughs> what... How do you think this is different? What do you think is unique about the experience of doing this in Chicago? Hmm. The experience of doing this in Chicago. I mean, I think doing this in Chicago is the one thing that's made it possible. Um, I have no money. um, (laughs) But I want to make a good piece of work with really good artists. And Chicago is the only city I've lived in that makes that a real possibility where all of my artists live within two miles of me and I can book rehearsal spaces for $5 an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's an incredible aspect of Chicago that New York doesn't have. That's one element of it. The other element of it is that, um, you know, I'm a newer playwright. You know, you ask 10 people who Felix Abador is, nine of them don't know who he is and one of them is his mother. Um, That's pretty funny. I'm going to celebrate that for a second. Uh, And uh, I think I think that's the beautiful thing about Rhino Fest, is that should we shout out your mom right now? Yeah, Selena Abador. <laughs> nice. Ha- happy three days past your birthday. Oh, twenty-seven so nice. is looking great. I on hope you. you had a really nice birthday. Yeah, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you two share a birthday? I uh, oh, this is cool. Uh, my birthday is two days before my mom's thirtieth birthday. I was born two days before my mom's thirtieth birthday. Aww. So I always know how old my mom is because I just add thirty years to my own age. <laughs> I, wow, my I know mom, you were seven. <laughs> my mom, my mom was, I was born a month and two days after my mom turned 30. Oh, weird. we're in the same boat here. Yeah. Except yeah. for that like weird month in the middle of. Yeah, she, yeah, her 30th birthday, she was eight months pregnant, Oof. which sucks. And I was two weeks late. Gosh. So she was like, she was like almost nine months pregnant. And then I made her wait for two weeks. Who wants to leave? It's the best situation. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the beautiful thing about like Chicago is the celebration of new, really risky work from artists that you don't know mm-hmm. and that you have no idea whether they're going to succeed. Um, and I think that comes from the space being so cheap, and I think it comes from the diversity of experiences. I think it just comes from the kind of artists that would choose to settle here rather than in New York or Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like Los Angeles, Chicago, that's where we live. Um, Chicago is in a lot of ways a place where people come to make art rather than really making careers as frequently. Mm-hmm. You can, I guess. It's... I, it's an interesting thing I think about a ton because I think that there is so much possibility for people that are living in Chicago right now to have really powerful career. And I think this happens a ton. I think a lot of people move to Chicago, kind of like find their footing and then leave it and then have a career, like almost immediately have a career because they've spent so much time, you know, that's a little, that's a little, the screensaver on the Mac, on the, anyway, um, but I also think it's an interesting thing where I I see more and more that I think Chicago is getting a degree of, like, national recognition. Um, and I, I think that's a really fascinating thing because, like, yes, it's very easy. It's, it's a thing of, like, would you want to lose that? Like, would you want to lose mm. everything that you're talking about for a more immediate success story, I guess? And, mm. and then it's also, like what is success you know like what are your goals like if, if your goals are to like create the thing you've wanted to create like you're already a success in chicago but you know i like rent. that about chicago there's mm-hmm. different definite there's room for different definitions of success right whereas in new york the idea of achieving the new york dream is so takes up so much room wait what exactly is the new york dream of like broadway oh yeah yeah or being able to work like live live off of your creative work <laughs> yeah e- even if it means you have to freelance your way into it 
Like that is very much the New York artist way. Like, yeah. Like here, it's it's way more part of the culture of have a day job, work as an artist at night, and you can then get to make exactly what you want. Whereas New York, I think there's a lot more like for lack of a of nicer way to put it and if there's any new yorkers listening i'm sorry but like selling out like it's very it's much more like i will fit into your mold if it means i can pay my rent let the record show i don't feel sorry about that your sellouts (laughs) shillery shillery no i think that there are um really great uh people um Doing work in New York. Anyway, no, sorry. fuckery in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is sheer fuckery. Mm-hmm. I'm over here, olive branching it up, because, like, no. that's the thing for me is, like... Burn the I branch. Think, <laughs> burn, burn it. the branch. <laughs> that, no, I... You know what? I, I, so, this is something I want to mention. I think one of the things we were saying about 2018 is it was very much, like, collaborate team. Like, I want to see us kind of reach out and, like, make compromises and stuff. Where, like, mm-hmm. 2019, like, you know... Um, I, for me, it's 20 Thrive Teen. Like, it's, for me, it's like, let's fucking... And I think that in in the cities conversation, that means more Chicago needs to shine for Chicago. Mm. Like, like, uplifting Chicago means uplifting Chicago, not, like, hoping that another place pulls us up with them. Sure. To move past the stigma of the second city in a sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because, like, it's wild to think that. Like, I think that it's very... Um, it's very America centric to be like, oh well, we're the second city. Where like other countries have no problem with having multiple major cities. Sure. There are some that yeah, there are some that do and don't. I mean, you think about like England and it's like if you're not in London, right, you're dead to the world. But America's yeah. fucking huge. It is freaking huge, yeah. That's the real like that's mm-hmm. the piece for me is like we could break this country up into five countries and be just fine. Yeah. And we already have a situation where we don't have a single primal city. Right. You, know, you have D.C. for government and lies. Um. <laughs> Left turn. It's House of Cards. <laughs> you got like San, the, the Bay Area which is like supposed to be tech. And you've got like New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Seattle. And, and in each of those places, they're supposed like primal thing. Mm-hmm. Is still something that's repeated by like dozens of cities. Like New York has an amazing film scene, so right. Santa Fe. But the yeah. things that make Chicago great, we're not second to anyone on that front. No, the ability to do exactly what you want to do in Chicago, there there is no the importance of just hard work in Chicago. That is second to no one. Like that in those ways, it is not. I think I do think that the second city moniker is a terrible thing. And I think it's perpetuated by, I don't know why I'm jumping off on a tangent right now, but it's perpetuated by the like, um, uh, second city NBC SNL pipeline. I think that like so much of like what, what performers want is to come to Chicago, get discovered by an agent and then get pulled to another city. And it's like, fuck that make shit here. Like, let's do it. It's kind of ironic because the reason that Second City called Second City Second City was to make fun of that moniker. Sure. You know, it was written by some jerk in The New Yorker in like the early 1900s. And then when they made Second City, because this was the only place in the country where there was improv. Improv was invented in Chicago. Yeah. I, I wrote this article. I'm very excited to jump back into <laughs> This is cool. Well, and I, well, that's really interesting. So, like, do you think a bunch... And I'm sorry that we're, like, jumping off on tangents that aren't related to your play. That's okay. It doesn't matter. The question that I have specifically for you, because I feel like this is something that I've talked to a couple people about, is the idea of, like, satire and how well does satire work if 20 years after the joke, people don't get that it's a joke. Hmm. I don't like satire, period. Um, like, I don't like it when it's new. Um, yeah i like it okay that's not fair like i I like satire a little bit what i don't like about satire is i don't like this idea of like uh there's a person writing this Mm -hmm. and in the in this satire piece they are god they -hmm. are the hero and everybody who disagrees with them is an idiot i think that that satirical viewpoint um has led us to so many problems in this country i mean i read this article once that like says that south park led to the rise of the far right Absolutely. Well, because that's the whole thing with it is that mm-hmm. if you're if someone's not in on the joke, like, is that still funny? Like, like if like if you're like if so much of the audience that you're telling the joke to doesn't fucking get it, like, yeah. what is the point then? Yeah, like, and and the ones who do get it think that they're so much smarter than everyone else right. because they get it. 
I think that's how you lead to dehumanization. Absolutely. In politics, in um, in just in running the polis, period. Mm-hmm. I think that the opposite of satire in a lot of ways is clown, which I guess does loop back. Where the clown is not the smartest person on stage ever. Clowns are... Whew, they're constantly walking a tightrope over a chasm that generally they've created. Um, the beautiful thing about clown is that, yet again, this goes back to the dogma versus faith thing. Satire is dogma, I think. I think that satire is in this position of like, I have figured out how the world is. And everybody who doesn't think my way is an idiot. Mm-hmm. Ha ha ha. Whereas I think the clown's version of comedy is like, a, anything could happen in this exact moment. And you're here watching it, and we're all kind of dumb. Yeah, and that's okay. <laughs> and like, it's universal. Like, it's way more like <clears throat> the it's it's way easier to get the joke, but that doesn't make it less funny. No, that's something that I'm appreciating about the approach you took in writing this play, mm-hmm. is because you're writing a play about one man's opinion, and it could have been very easy for you, Felix Abdor, to decide what this man's opinion was. Of, of infinity and been like this is what I'm writing mm-hmm. and this is how you're going to perform it sure instead though you took more of an infinite approach of I'm presenting you this premise you a group of actors are going to decide how to portray what this one man thought and I think that it's much more broad it's much more accepting it's much more you you allowed for there to be room for anything to happen because I was sitting on this question like like, oh, you know, you we're talking about, like, I think I find it so fascinating that one man's opinion, you've decided to leave it up to a group of people, you know, mm. when it could have been so much easier if you had just, you know, done the research, written the thing, and then, like, said, like, this is what he thought factually. I read it in a book. <laughs> um, but the, you know, again, skirting that that discussion of dogma versus faith, it's like, this is what he thought because I read it in a book. Mm -hmm. is dogma yeah but hey this is what he thought i read it in a book you interpret it Mm. is is much more relatable absolutely much more accessible well i want to um i know one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording is and a thing that we really care about is um the moment and, and kind of how it relates to the current moment and so I want to ask that for you, like this work, the idea of the thinker that is pitted against society or, or you know, any kind of that, that whole dynamic and, and all these things we've been talking about, the dualities we've been talking about, um, how for you do those relate to the moment that we find ourselves in in 2019 now? Sure. Well, I feel like 2019 is a time for straight white men to figure things out for the rest mm-hmm. of the world. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I think there's something really timeless about the Inquisition. Sure. Um, that there's something timeless about the people who try and hold us into the way that things are. It was happening back then, I, uh, it was, and it's happening now. Um, anytime that there's a time of massive, either social, intellectual, or political upheaval, there are going to be people who have ideas that might be considered progressive. And what those progressive ideas are vary time by time. In that time, it was that the Earth revolves around the sun and the universe is infinite. Here, it could be a variety of things. From, like, um, the rise into the mainstream of, like, LGBTQ or um, just non-neuronormativity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a big thing that, like, caused me to think about this place. Like, what? just, like, people continue to not think the way everybody else does. And I think a lot of people will desperately try and put themselves into a cookie-cutter mold and in doing so completely fry their brains. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there's something timeless about that desire to deviate. Or not even that desire to deviate. Just that deviation exists. Um, and that there are people who deviate from what, like, the powers that be, quote-unquote, unquote, 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 consider like normal or acceptable or dogmatic and anybody who fits outside of that will always consider themselves to be deviant or perverted or strange mm. um and i think there's some sort of timeless desire or there's this timeless balance of how far are we willing to push or how far are we willing not to push but to unleash who we are mm. at the risk of um being accepted or <laughs> sometimes not being killed mm-hmm 
And so I think that 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 battle is a constant thing. I think it was happening back then. It was happening in times before, and it, it's happening now, and it, it's probably going to continue to happen as long as people continue to strive to um, authentically express parts of their personality that they've had to repress for their entire lives. Yeah, because like Inquisitions love a face. Like yes. that's the that's such a like true, like that is so. You know, like people were talking in the last couple decades about the Britney Spears thing. Of like where people love to just be able not I'm not saying that like Britney Spears has discovered infinity or anything like that, but like I, but I hasn't she though 2007 Britney may have discovered she's infinity. so lucky <laughs> she did it no um, I I, uh, uh, I I think it's really interesting that I don't know I that's something that is one of those ones I don't have an answer to but it's something that I think about a lot is that will we ever be able to get out of the idea that if we have a group of people, they have to have a common enemy. Like I, like the one for me is I always think like, man, are we ever gonna solve climate change before the aliens attack us? Like, like, are we ever gonna what? be able to? Like, <laughs> what? Here's what I mean. I, I mean that like, I, like the whole like globalist versus nationalist debate like mm. would be so solved out of necessity if there was a globe a um if there were more global threats i mean like climate change is a global threat obviously but like because that that is then put against well but then case in point nationalism wins out because there are people who are deprioritizing that global threat because it's too much hmm. yeah so like this is too much for me to think about i've got i've got smaller fish to fry that big fish is just going to fester so my point is that the like Ooh. That's a what? weird siren. Seriously. It's like he's drunk. What? <laughs> what the fuck? What? <laughs> what is happening? It's like the siren is a valley girl saying, Hey, there's a fire. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Well, aliens I saw, are here. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't mean to jump down the like alien surreal conspiracy rabbit hole or anything like that. But what I more mean is that, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, I think that an immediate threat of like, oh, there are other planets and and they may organize to start a global war. That's immediate. Like you can't you can't say that that's not real when that's happening. No. And I, I that to me is the like greatest example. Not greatest. I mean greatest in the sense of like the largest and most threatening threatening although least likely to be to happen in our lifetime thing but would be so intense that it would to me it's the like if this it's the spectrum of that the like the inquisition of britney spears or something like that is to me those are those are Related, and maybe that doesn't make sense right now like how that is but but my point being that like i'm gonna write a play relating the imminent attack by aliens and the inquisition of britney spears well and so it's the but it's the individual of oh okay it's like the individual versus group mentality Um, like it's the group mentality of the globe versus the individual threat of oh my god britney spears shaved her head of oh my god there are aliens to yeah yeah well something i found i've i think is really interesting is the the shitty position that um, Bruno finds himself in, Mm -hmm. in that Copernicus kind of, you know, you know, dropped the mic on his way out. He was like, earth revolves around the sun, peace. Mm -hmm. And then Bruno was saying similar things without the mic drop. Yeah. And so he received the brunt of, of what the Inquisition could offer. And then I think... And, well, you mentioned that the um, main Inquisitor yeah. on that was kind of shaken by that and encouraged Galileo to recant because he was like, that shit was awful. You should not... You should try to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Robert Bellarmine. Actually, Saint Bellarmine. He was sainted like 70 years ago for his like amazing work at burning people in the stake. 
Are you serious? Yeah. He was sainted 70 years ago for that? Yeah, 1930. Actually, 80 years ago, I guess. Yeah, Robert Bellarmine. If you go to, like, California, there's, like, a Bellarmine College prep, and, like, there's Bellarmines everywhere, all named after this guy who was amazing at getting people to recant beliefs that were counter to the Catholic Church. Miraculously good at it, you could say. What? Yeah. That is bonkers. He's a main character in this story. Yeah. I, I, I really like Bellarmine. I, I don't like Bellarmine, but he's... Like an he's, a good, he's a good yeah. character. Oh, he's a great character. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Duvall. Well, and that's the. I mean, in that sense of like, that's he's the scales of the like global, not global, but um, group mentality versus the individual. Like he, that's the like the lawyer, if you will, almost of like you should recant because like the threat of group think will like destroy you. That's a different character in the play, actually. Oh, sorry, go yeah. ahead. Oh, no, 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 that's fair. I haven't talked about him. Like, there's, there's like, I feel like there's a lot of different saints of groupthink. There's that saint that's like, you should think this way because everybody else thinks this way and you're a weirdo. Mm. Um, I think there's another more dangerous kind of groupthink that's like, you should think this way because it's actually right. Mm. You know? Yeah. And even if you've seen the other thing, there's like this, there's this desire to repress everything that is not groupthink. Mm. Because, you know, I think, it, I think it's very easy for good minds to be taken over by dogma. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's the groupthink that can't see past their own nose. And then there's the groupthink that can and chooses not to. Mm-hmm. Um, that reminds me, um, one of your uncles, Daniel... Oh. Has he keeps atlases in his house, and in one of the atlases, um, he keeps an article that he printed out or like tore out of a magazine or something from like 2003 or something like that. That is a counter argument to global warming, and he keeps it as a bookmark in the page of the atlas that talks about the Arctic. Oh my god, this atlas from probably 1990 yeah where it's he and he keeps he specifically said i keep this article in this page to remind me why i think global warming doesn't exist oh he he continues to think global warming doesn't exist yes because of this article from 2003 my family which like that is that is such a that is peak dogma yeah Yeah, it's uh, I've had some interesting thinking done recently because we just got back from visiting. Sure. And I don't know why I'm choosing this moment right now when we're going over time on your interview to like I'm having a love have time. this moment. Yeah. But one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is the responsibility of because I talk to my parents a lot. I'm not to my parents, my f- family, my extended family, especially a lot about politics. Mm-hmm. And um, I think in 2018, this is kind of like a recurring piece of you know i very badly want to live in a world where you can put your ideology in someone's face that you know doesn't agree with you and potentially get them to understand where you're coming from and i think i don't know (laughs) you can or not and i i think that like it's it's one of the things that is the like 2018 versus 2019 dynamic of like collaboration versus I need to thrive for myself thing Mm. of like how like and when it comes to something like global warming and climate change like fucking how like how how can we solve climate change without a unified front We, we can't but the first thing that we need to do is pull our heads out of the sand and perhaps why the uncle keeps the bookmark in is because the reality of climate change is, I think, without a unified front, too horrible to really comprehend. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about, like, climate anxiety. Or just think in general. Just, like, how do you come face-to-face with the death of the world? Mm-hmm. You don't. You yeah. read your article from 2003 that says it's not happening. And you live a happy life, continuing to pump CO2 into the atmosphere, whatever. And, well, and it's, yeah. it's funny because... Besides, like, his life otherwise is they eat local fish. They don't really eat beef at all. Mm -hmm. They live, like, out east, like, on Long Island. So they they don't – they, like, chop their own wood. They, like, shop local. Like, they're – 
they they live in a they live in a very small house on a large piece of land and right. they and they Work utilize it. that land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're like the pinnacle of that. And and on top of that, whenever we visit there, he's especially always very interested in having these conversations. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a thing that happens for like a few hours where we talk about this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and I, it's it's always been an interesting piece for me of like, like, you know how how that kind of spectrum of this is not something I talk about often at all, but that spectrum of going from that to a week later sitting down with. Any name a person that we've sat down with on the podcast and be like, okay, we live in a city. Like everyone kind of thinks the same way that we do. Mm. What can we do to make what we are already doing even better? It's like that spectrum is one thing that I know I personally have not uh, resolved and kind of figured out how to walk the middle path through. You know, and and I and I don't mean to say that like when I'm talking to rural-minded people or when I'm talking to people that I don't politically agree with that I agree with them more. In fact, it's the opposite, mm-hmm. where I'm less compromising and I'm less uh, like like willing to. And, and you know, I I don't know. I I'm saying all of this. I don't know why, because I'm I'm choosing this moment to like create this therapy session for myself. Apparently, <laughs> go ahead, let's talk. But I honestly, that's about it. Like I like it's something that I think about a lot. And if there's other people that like are in that situation where their families are, you know, rural, conservative, like that is something that I that I definitely realize more and more that is a reality for me. And um, I and you know it's in 300 episodes of the podcast. I've always hesitated to talk about this because you never know who could be listening or anything like that. Like I'm like there could be a chance that one of my relatives is listening to this episode for some reason. Shout out my uncle Mike. <laughs> <laughs> like I I think it's um I don't know. Anyway, hmm. dogma and faith. Dogma and faith. It's a good question. I like to think about it a lot. Yeah. This is I'm really excited by this project and I'm so I so thank you for coming on. Yeah. I realized that in my like rush to get to, to the end to get our guests off, we never thank them for coming on. But oh, thank yeah. you. I'm going to try and remember to do 2019 resolution is I want to make sure to like cuz I appreciate you taking the time. Oh yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. It's yeah. good to talk to you both. Is there a is there a last name we want to throw out there? Oh, there's a last name. Oh, can I also really briefly tell people when the show is? Oh, so yeah, we're gonna yeah, do yeah. So we're going to do oh, our plug. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't know how the system works. No, yeah. no, no, it's fine. I definitely did not let it we're, so the last thing we do mm-hmm. is a one-minute plug for anything that you have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, like letting people know where they can find tickets and mm-hmm. dates for an upcoming run mm-hmm. at Rhino Fest, if that were a thing. Um, otherwise, we love hearing shout-outs to other folks that are doing dope work or any media that you're consuming, self-care, otherwise, music, movies, TV shows, things like that. Oh, yeah. Wait, can I can I give a shout-out to somebody who's not in the Chicago theater community but is yes. abroad? Oh, yeah. Sasha Wilson, congratulations on winning the Broadway Choice Award for the Phoenix area for Romeo and Juliet. Hell, yeah. We were there together for, like, eight months. What a fun little mess that was. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's it. And I'm going to tell her, and now she's going to have to listen to this whole thing until she figures out why a local Chicago podcast is talking about her. (laughs) Uh, But where can people get tickets? Oh, yeah. People can get tickets on the Rhino Fest website. Um, The show goes on at um, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. in the front space. It's $15, and I'm pretty sure it's pay what you can. So it's like a $15 suggested price. Cool. Yeah. All kinds of weird noises today, huh? Yeah, what is that? I love it. I don't know. Um, have you worked with Olivia Lilly? Uh, have I worked with her directly in like a production process? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. No, not really. We've like briefly workshopped some stuff together. Cool. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, because I um. Well, but one Olivia- of our shoutouts, we should definitely yeah. be. Oh yeah! Shout out to Olivia. Does that not Lilly. sound like we're about to experience a flood? I feel like the building is eating us. That's just a jackhammer, right? Oh yeah, there's construction uh, going on over there. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, no, I just we've had her on a bunch. I think she's gonna come on to talk about Rhino Fest entirely conceptually. Um, but this whole conversation made me think like, oh, I bet you she would appreciate this. So I'm oh, just yeah. that's my shout out. We should wrap up because there's a jackhammer outside now. Yeah. yeah, the jackhammer of wrapping up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. I'd never hear jackhammers. That's really fun. 
Thanks so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. <laughs> and I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, including our jackhammers, you can find us on scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our podcast episodes and articles there, as well as, uh, yeah, that's, I'm sorry, uh, podcasts and articles. That's what's there. Otherwise, you can find us on social media, on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. It's called Scopy Magazine. We also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board, where we mm. talk about local arts, local politics, and astrology memes. <laughs> Otherwise, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag, spelled the same way as the website, S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. Uh, and you can also find the podcast, the one you're listening to right now, under Scopy Radio. And I'm here, as always, to talk about the importance of subscribing uh, if you head to our website, scopymag.com, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to head to our, is to, uh, head to, oh my God. Did I say, okay, go to our website and go to our subscribe page. The first thing you can do is be, is sign up for email blasts. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook buries our content. So if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, you should sign up for those email blasts. The second thing you could do is become a member. For as little as $5 a month, you can help us keep our lights on and pay our artists. If you're in a position to do so, there are some cool incentives associated with that, so please consider it. Also, if you are a business or an entity or just have something fun to say and would like to advertise with us, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So, give a little give a lot and if you can't give then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make something and felix is a member of the winner's circle oh yeah (laughs) moody has been in lap the whole time yep nice yep go out and make something